Hi, Hillcrest Baptist Church. As we come uh, to a time in the Word together, I just want to confess something to you. This was a, a very difficult week to prepare a sermon in. What do you say after a week like the week that we've had? I know that some people, some of you have been affected directly by this, and you may be questioning, how do I get past this? I'm not sure how to get over this. And we've all felt the collective trauma of what we've faced and what's happened. Uh, we live right next to Watercrest Mall, and as we were lying awake on Monday night trying to comfort our children through gunshots and explosions, Sheree and I, between us, felt the full spectrum of fear and anger that I think many of you have felt this week. Uh, a couple weird other things happened in our lives, personal things, and it just was a, a tough week. And I said to Sheree on Wednesday, the last thing that I want to do this week is prepare a sermon. I said to her that the tools of my trade are emotion and spirit. What do I do when my own mind is a, a battle, battlefield between dark and light, and I feel like darkness is winning out? And Sheree rebuked me. She said, that's not true. The tool of your trade is not emotion. It's the Word of God. Now go and write a sermon for yourself. So that's what I did this week. Of course, she was right. And so I'm with you as we come together now to the wellspring of life, the Word of God, that it may guide our hearts together. We're taking a break from the book of 1 Thessalonians. I thought it would be appropriate to spend some time today in Psalm 37. So let's read together. We're just going to read the first 11 verses of Psalm 37. David writes, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, attends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Let's pray. Father, we know that peace has eluded our land this week and probably eluded many of our, our hearts as well. And yet you are a God who has made peace with us. And Jesus Christ, you are our Prince of Peace. And so we come before you this morning with our hearts stilled around your word. We ask that you would guide our hearts again through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
when the author of the book of Ecclesiastes took a good long look at the world around him, he came to this conclusion, this famous conclusion at the start of the book, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Another translation says meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. It's a very grim conclusion that seems very appropriate at times like this. When you get a good look at the state of the world and you have to acknowledge that things are messed up. But as the preacher also says in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. The brokenness around us is not new to us. It's why David wrote Psalm 37. We hear an honesty in the psalm about the state of the world. How evil seems unchecked and justice absent. The psalm meets us where we're at today. This week felt surreal, didn't it? And questions filled our minds. When will this madness end? The old question was forgotten. When will this virus be under control and replaced by a new question? When will we eat bread again? And in these days, a serious concern that I have as your pastor for myself and for all of us is... That the state of our hearts are so prone in these times to flow in directions that are not faithful to the Lord. Not honoring to Him as a good and a faithful King. Very simply, I think that Psalm 37 can help us in three ways. It firstly helps to guard our hearts against an evil that lurks, waiting. Secondly, it guides our heart to the Lord to look up and lift our eyes to Him. And thirdly, it gives our hearts a bigger picture to cling to today. Number one, we see in the psalm a help, a help to guard our hearts against evil. I don't know if anyone in our church, I know I'm a soccer fan and not too many people are fans of soccer. We like rugby and, and cricket and, and, and things like that, I suppose. But did, did anyone follow the, the Euro? It's a tournament that's been on over the last month or so. Um, It ended last Sunday evening, which really feels like a lifetime ago now. The Euro is like the World Cup, but only for European countries. And in the final, uh, England played against Italy. England haven't won anything for like 55 years. So it was a big deal that they were even in the final. And all over social media was the phrase, "It's, it's coming home, as if soccer belongs to the English people. Well, it it went, as they say, it didn't come home, it went Rome. (laughs) England lost on penalties. And I saw on Tuesday this woman had started a petition to have the final replayed. She felt that the ref had been unfair in that match. And she got 125,000 signatures. Somebody wrote an article about it. This article surmised whether the football authorities would even hear about that petition. Because they certainly wouldn't care. There's in every single one of us an inherent desire for justice, for things to be fair. It's why movies always have the the resolution where justice prevails or where the truth comes out, where good conquers evil. But in our world and in David's world as well, we see that justice often doesn't prevail. People do evil things and they get away with them. People hurt others, and it seems like the only consequences are for those who suffer. 
And when it happens, our blood boils, doesn't it? Well, David says to us in verse 1 of the psalm, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. That word in the Hebrew means literally, do not get heated. Now, there is an appropriateness to anger at times of injustice, to being moved, if you're able to, to do something about injustice. God doesn't like injustice. He doesn't like oppression in the land. Just two psalms before our psalm in Psalm 37, David is calling out to God for vengeance on his enemies, calling out for justice and crying for it. Paul says in Ephesians 4:26, be angry and do not sin. So there is a place for anger at the state of the world. But the fretting that David is talking about here is something else. It's what James speaks of in James 1 verse 20, where he says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so David says in verses 7 and 8, Do not fret. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. We've all seen the pictures and the videos of what remains of shops and what was the state of our streets and what is your immediate visceral response to those things. The immediate temptation is to fight the evil that we see with evil ourselves, with the same weapons we match violence, with a hatred of our own. So that the peace and the love of God are muted, sometimes even among the people of God. I thought in despair this week. We live in a time where we are already isolating. We're already socially distanced. We live in a political climate where, if we're honest, we're in these bubbles around our cultural communities. And things have already been tense. It feels like the last decade in South Africa has been the angriest decade since the new South Africa started. And racism is alive as ever in the hearts of our people. And I thought to myself, what is going to happen now? Will suspicion grow? Will racism be solidified in our hearts? Will hatred be justified? There's been a lot of love this week. There's been a lot of people reaching out and communities gathering around one another. But as the dust begins to settle, what are we going to do about the, the communities that aren't our community or aren't those right around us? What's going to be left in the hearts of the people of South Africa? And as a church, we know that we have to guard. We have to guard against bitterness and racism and hatred. We've got to guard against writing anybody off. It's a wickedness that grows unchecked in our country. And it's something we don't like to talk about, even in the church, because things are so politically charged. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the state of your heart. Where is your heart at today? How do we guard against evil? How do we go about not fretting? I think for starters, we need to be very careful about the, the us-them categories that we employ. I saw uh, Gareth Cliff had something to say this week about what's happened in the wake of the destruction. 
he wrote and he said, Tabu Mbeki was right. There are actually two South Africas. And he goes on to say, most people jump to the conclusion that we're a nation divided along racial lines. Others think it's about the haves and the have-nots. The events of the past few days have made it abundantly clear that the real divide is between those who want law and order and those who see the law only as a means to make themselves more powerful. Now, whatever else you might make about that statement, it, it reveals the truth. One thing is clear. In turbulent times, we want to draw a line in the sand where we, uh, the us, we're on the side of the good and them on the side of the bad. And it's true that we have seen unbridled evil displayed in this country this week. But we have got to be careful that we don't play the world's game of self-righteousness now. The Bible is more nuanced in its categories. If you read Psalm 37, David does make a distinction throughout. A distinction between the righteous and the wicked. That contrast actually dominates the psalm. But the psalmist's categories are not about how we relate to the law of the land or to some standard in ourselves. Rather, they're about how we relate to the law of God. The righteous are not so because of their own great moral fiber or inherent goodness. They are the meek, those turned towards God in repentance in the midst of a corrupt world. The wicked, on the other hand, are those who live lives with no care for the glory of God, no care for His moral law, no care for honoring Him. They do what is right in their own lives, in their own eyes, and they don't live for His glory. And so the Bible's take is this. If you today are found in that category of the righteous before God, it is not your own doing. You are like everyone else at one point, you were, we were children of wrath. But God, who was rich in his mercy, intervened in our lives. And so when you shift the categories from the us, them, that's defined by some standard that we set in our own hearts to us, him, sinners and rebels and glory thieves, all of us, and him, the holy one, the righteous one, the pure one. When you start to think in that way, you begin to be helped in guarding against the evil of a self-righteous heart. How is it that you come to us this psalm and know that David is talking about you when he says, for example, in verses 18 and 19, The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. How do we know that's us? It's not first and foremost that you are the good in the land, wronged by the bad. Rather, it's because of God's mercy and grace and His intervention. As we sing here, I, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. That's all of us. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and you led me to the cross. And there I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. 
That's it. That's how we belong to the category of the righteous. Or was our singing this morning a hollow singing? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. When Isaiah saw God, he didn't just say, I live among a people of unclean lips. He saw God and he said, I am a man of unclean lips. We need to guard our hearts today, church. We need to look again and remember the cross of Jesus Christ. C.J. Mahaney said, how can anyone be arrogant when he stands beside the cross? I remember last year when George Floyd was killed in America and riots broke out in the city of Minneapolis, right in uh, John Piper's neighborhood. I remember waiting to hear what he'd have to say about it. And he published a prayer for his city in which he said this. He said, as the virus wreaks havoc with our economy and riots send lifetimes of labor up in smoke and the fabric of our common life is torn, we pray that the compounding of sorrows will not compound our sins, but send us desperate and running to the risen Savior, our only hope, Jesus Christ. In this moment, we desire to be more like our Savior who left the glory of heaven for the shame of incarnation in response to our depravity. He dwelt among us, robbers and thieves, all of us. We had exchanged the glory of God for a lie and rebelled in riot against that God who created us. We fail Him every day. We fail to give Him the glory that is His due and we could never pay Him back for the honor that we have stolen from Him. May we guard our hearts against self-righteousness, racism, wrath, bitterness. May we not withdraw. May we not write anyone off as we see so often in our culture people do. May we forgive and seek to make our presence known in grace and in the gospel in all places. And may the, the kingdom that cannot be halted be built here even now as Hillcrest reels in this setback. Number two, we see in the psalm a help to guide our hearts to the Lord. Fretting leads to obsession and it leads to an obsession with our own hurts and our own grievances being turned inward on ourselves. It's how people who have never hungered a day in their lives end up with a, a year's supply of toilet paper. But Psalm 37 calls us not to look inward, uh, but to cast our gaze outwards and upward. There are four commands in verses 3 to 7 that help us to center our hearts on God. The first is found in verse 3. Trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust is such a little word that sits at the very center of what it means to live as a Christian in this world. It's such a little command, but it's so difficult to obey. You may have been filled this week about thoughts of the future, thoughts of the future for our country, your financial security, Maybe even if you would have a meal on Monday. Uh, Dai Kerwin this week 
reached out to us and appealed to have a day of fasting and prayer. And what a wonderful idea that was. We, we fasted and we prayed on Friday and we thought to ourselves, it's a great idea. Let's get in there with a willing fast while we still have food to fast from. And scholars note here in verse 3 that this word for trust it gives the idea of stretching out helpless and face down before somebody else or before something else. It's an idea of dependence and submission. Now, we all felt a common sense of powerlessness this week. For Ray and I, I think it was compounded because we have three small children that are growing up in a crazy world of viruses and riots, and we are powerless to shield them against these things. But we know, we all know, that we're not at, at the mercy of forces outside of God's control. And so in the, the place of fear, what we're actually called to is a submission. We submit to His agenda and to His plan. We surrender to Him. And just by the way, for those of you who are parents, listen to these words of comfort later in the psalm in verses 23 to 26. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. I read that with Sheree this week and we were wrestling over the psalm. And I said to her, I'm not actually sure how to apply the psalm. We can't be like Job's friends who held out no um, hope for, for any sort of exceptions to this as a, as a principle or as a rule. I know that this existed under a theocratic state. And this was a promise primarily for them. But the promise is still unshakably true. I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Sheree reminded me of Jesus' own comfort in Matthew 10, 29 and 31. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Whatever we may go through we know that we are never set adrift. We are never adrift without the care and the presence of a good and loving Father. And Jesus promised us in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's why this second command here in verse 4 is so important. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, the righteous in the Psalms are those who have, David says in Psalm 34, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They agree with David again in Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. C.S. Lewis once said, God in the Psalms is the all-satisfying object. He is the one thing we want. And our lives are shaped around this longing and yearning for the very best of all things, God Himself. And so our hearts do not melt, even in the destruction of our property or the loss of our livelihoods. 
And we cannot ultimately be shaken because we cannot lose the one thing that matters most. It can be difficult not to fear or to be angry when all these things are in danger. But even in this opportunity, we are provided uh, by the prospect of their loss. We're provided an opportunity to delight again in what matters most, to delight again in the truth that we will not lose Him, Christ who is ours forevermore. That's something that God has given to us this week. What you felt this week, God's comfort this week is unique. May we not waste these opportunities. And what do we do when everything else, when all these things are in danger? What do we do with our anxieties and our cares? Verse 5, the third command, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. The Hebrew for commit means literally to roll off something that is heavy. I'm sure actually this is what Peter had in mind in 1 Peter 5, 7 when he said, Cast all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. Have you ever actually done that? Said to God, God, I'm anxious, but here's what I'm anxious about. I'm giving this to you. I'm casting my care upon you because I know that you are here. And I know that you care about me. You speak the truth. I know that you have not forsaken me. And I know that you are the God who acts. We rest in the God who acts. Now he acts in accordance with his own will. And his own ways. Ways that we would not necessarily choose for ourselves. And his ways are higher than our ways. But we know that he is always good. Everything Every single thing that he does is good. And we can say that as a church, even in this week. We know that he's the God who acts, and that leads to the fourth command in verse 7. We are therefore to be still, to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I think one of the most difficult things, and I'm, I'm sure it's something that we're all going to be learning for the rest of our lives, is how to be at rest to be at peace, to be still before the Lord during days like these, still in the storm. We're like Jesus' disciples, panicked in the boat, crying out, why are you asleep? James Johnston, in his commentary on these verses, says something I think is quite astute. He says, some people try to start with this verse, and they cannot understand why they find it hard to quiet their hearts and find peace. We can only get to this place by following the path David has led us down in these verses. We need first to decide that we will trust God and believe His promises. We must delight in Him. We must commit our plans to Him and let Him carry our cares and concerns. Then we, we will be able to be still. And what is offered to us even in this great social unrest Societal unrest is peace, trusting in God, delighting in Him, committing our way to Him is how we wait for Him and take refuge in Him. And listen to the words of David at the end of this psalm in verses 39 to 40. This is true today. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. 
The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. We honor God when we take refuge in Him alone. So, in our peace, what we're waiting for is not further doom. We're waiting for Him. We're waiting to see what the Lord will do. He helps, the psalm helps us to guard our hearts against evils, firstly, and and to guide our hearts to the Lord. And finally, number three, it helps us to grasp the bigger picture. We grasp the bigger picture. Like a chorus between verses of a song, we see this refrain throughout Psalm 37, at least five times in the psalm. We see it first in verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. They shall inherit the land. This bigger picture in Psalm 37 is so important to keep our perspective on the eternal The idea or the sense of frustration that we have that evil, the evil we see in our world will go unanswered or unchecked. It's just an illusion. Throughout the psalm, we see this to be true. They will fade and wither, verse 2 says, and be cut off, verse 9, 22 and 34. The Lord laughs at their schemes, knowing their day is coming, verse 13. The sword of the wicked that the wicked draw for the poor and the needy will pierce their own hearts, verses 14 and 15. Their arms are finally broken while the righteous are upheld, verse 18. They will perish and disappear like smoke, verse 20, and not be found, verse 36. And this is the fate that we would have earned if not for God's intervention. We must know this to be true if we are to live at peace in the timing of God's justice and to live with an urgency for the lost around us, the lost in the world, even those who loot. And this peace enables forgiveness. It enables us to obey another command that David gives in verse 3. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And befriend faithfulness. We are free to live at peace in the land because we know ultimately that we are not of the land. Jesus prayed this for us, didn't he? He prayed that we would be in the world even though we are not of the world. We would be in the world like he is in the world. We are exiles here. Even though we are citizens of South Africa We more primarily are citizens of another kingdom, one that cannot be shaken. And that doesn't mean that we don't care. In fact, it frees us to care. We care for our physical country, our city, our community. We're freed to live without fear and to dwell in the land and seek its good. As Jeremiah said to the Israelites in Babylon, those who foreshadowed the church in its exile, He said in Jeremiah 29 verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and to pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. We are called to care. We are called to care and feel for the people around us, including those who loot, including those who riot, the way that God felt for the city of Nineveh. John Piper, again in his prayer for Minneapolis, said this, Oh, how kind you are to pity our folly rather than pander to our pride. 
Jonah could not fathom your mercy. His desire was the fire of judgment. And you stunned him and angered him with the shock of forgiveness. Is it our hope even now that, that there would be forgiveness for the lost? Forgiveness for those who do evil. We are to have the heart of Christ for the city of Jerusalem. Those who he came to as his own who did not receive him. Who rejected him and killed him. Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. We trust God and we delight in him when the whole world is upside down. And so in this we are free to love our enemies. And what is the result to this? We see in verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. That is a fate, church, that is better than financial security. It is better than personal comfort that righteousness and the justice of the church would be shining like the noonday sun. Is that what you hope for right now? That it would shine to the praise and the glory of God. It seems some days like the whole world literally is falling apart like this week. Other times it's just your world that is falling apart. There are days where we fight the temptation to say and to feel that we have been abandoned by God. But in turmoil we look up, we lift our eyes to Him. We trust again, we commit our way to Him, we delight in Him and we wait for Him. Because we know that we are called to get on board with another program, with His program. None of us would have chosen what happened this week. But we know that there is a plan that God has for His church in the middle of all of this. That the glory of God might shine forth through us. And our trump card, as we sing so often here, is this. We say, I know not what the future holds. And that may be true of your, your business or your job. But I know who holds the future. And when all our fear is all that's true, your perfect love is truer. Finally, verses 10 and 11. David says, In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance. How do we interpret or understand this promise? They will inherit the land. Well, where have we heard it before? This is what Jesus quoted, right? He quoted it in Matthew 5 verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the earth, not just the land. The promise given to us is expanded. Our hope is not in the blessings or the, or the fruit of this world as it stands now. We have a greater hope as citizens of a greater kingdom. We desire a better country, a heavenly city, a world where sin and injustice will be no more, where every tear will be wiped away, every fear will be taken away, and we will dwell at peace one day. Oh, we look forward to and work for and strive for and seek the peace of God that we will experience forever and ever when He dwells among His people.
Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you, Lord, for the promise of, of the psalm. We thank you for the, the assurance that we have that peace will be ours forevermore because of the peace that was made through Jesus Christ. And so I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be and become more peacemakers as we are more and more made into the image of Jesus Christ, even through these struggles and these hardships. Lord, I do pray for our country. I pray that you would use this, Father, this shaking, that you would use it to bring revival to people's hearts and to bring repentance. I pray that you would use it to cause people to be drawn to the glorious Son lifted up for our salvation. I pray that you would use it to make your church seek more, a better kingdom, a better country. That you would help us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But you would help us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven that are eternal and rest with you. I pray that in all things, and everything that has happened this week, that it would result more in your glory. We desire your glory, your name, and your renown are the desires of our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.